we're going to dive in and talk about Easter. I am so excited uh, of what Jesus did for my life, and I'm continually just in celebration mode this weekend. The imagery of Jesus going to the cross is so humbling, and, and honestly, I don't know that there's been a year since I made a decision to follow Jesus that I haven't like just cried at the imagery of the cross and the grave. But there's something about it that's almost surreal, isn't there? Almost hard to believe that somebody could pay a price that brutal for you and I. And so it's kind of this intangible. I could go into all kinds of proof of the cross and, and text proofing of the Bible and try to convince us in this room, pontificate, if you will, and get us to go, oh, without a doubt, like historically and for sure, because these are the stats that prove the Bible's real, that Jesus is real, and I need to put my faith in Him. But instead, I want to focus on the changed life as the proof of the cross. When you think about it, even in the text of Scripture, that's what Jesus proves His own sovereignty with. He proves that He's the Son of God through changed lives, and He loves on people. He heals people. He delivers people, and it's that love that actually leads you and I, when we respond to it, to love. It's love that gives way to love, and that love impacts and changes people, and changed people change people, and together we can change the world. We just believe that. 1 John 4.19 says it this way, pretty simple. We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. I love the fruit of everything that open life can do in the community, but we love because He first loved us. Jesus' life brings change for the better in us and helps us to love others more effectively, wholly, unconditionally, more genuine. Two years before Easter is where we're going to look at a story today, the first Easter, the cross, the grave. We reverse two years before that in the life of Jesus. One of the first miracles, and we're going to look in Mark 2. It's on your handout, fill in if you will, if you're a fill-in person. There's some fill-in itch for you to do. Uh, if you're more of just a, a, a listener, you can listen. If you want to take notes, you can. But anyway, it's on your handout. It's on the screen. Mark 2 gives us this story of Jesus and shows us His compassion for people that are sick and also the passion of friends of those that are ill, wanting to make a difference in somebody's lives. And we, we get some insights into the heart of God. So Mark 2, 1, is where we start. It says this, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Can you imagine? The capacity of this facility is 1,800 and something. So, like, that would be like 2,500 to 3,000 if there would be not even room outside. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Like, when I went to open life, there wasn't even room outside. That's not our goal, by the way, uh, is that we would get that full. That'd be kind of scary, and we would multiply by then. But anyway, that aside, this little fishing town, Capernaum, is where the story's set. Jesus would come back after doing ministry, and, and so it says He came back again to Capernaum. He comes back to this town, and the people were pumped that Jesus had come back. They had heard rumors and stories of the things that He had done. They had heard that He had done some cool ministry, and like, it was showtime when He came back. They packed the house. They packed it so tight that there wasn't even room outside. 
excited to hear some new insight maybe from, from this supposed prophet at the time. That's what they thought. A miracle worker is all they knew. And there was also some misinformation like in all of the history of the Bible that he was trying to make clear. And people came just to be challenged. He would say things like, God is not angry with you. And people would go, really? Right? They would just, it was kind of a, that moment. He would say, there's a better way of life. Follow me. Follow you? Right? It's, it, was just, it kind of confused people. They were excited to, to hear this new teaching. God loves you so much that he sent me to help you, Jesus would say there, like, wait a second, who is this guy, right? So they're processing that. They're questioning. He's reminding them over and over, he really loves you so much that he wants to restore you and redeem you no matter where you're at. So he would keep repeating these things, and, and uh, there was an element of the crowd, like uh, this, this audience, if you would, they were there for the Jesus show. They had heard the stories about healing and some different things. You saw it in the, the bumper right there for, for the talk today. Uh, you know, a crowd of 5,000 men gathered. So there was women and children as well there. So it could have been as many as 15,000 in this crowd. In this day, without a big old sound system and power and that stuff, in this day, there's no way they went there to hear Jesus. Think about it. 15,000, there's no way out in the desert you're going to hear Jesus. But you're going to see him. They went to see the Jesus show. What's he going to do? They knew he would work his way through the crowd and do different miracles. And they wanted to see it. They would bring their sick and their, their ill to him. And they would watch him do miracles. It was a powerful thing. He would heal the blind. He would restore the hearing of those who could not hear. He was casting out demons. Limbs were growing. Bald people were growing hair. No, no, I just made that up. I wanted to see if any of you are paying attention. But wouldn't that be sweet? Like, all of a sudden, like, Jesus would just go, Chia Pet over all of you. And they're like, you know, it's like, oh, that's sweet. I'm going to go home and tell somebody. This is powerful. And... uh, no, crazy stuff, and you know, so people were out there with their cameras, they're like, hey, look at me, selfie with Jesus walking on water, you know, and it was kind of the world that was happening this day, and then it continues. Verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Catch that. Your sins are forgiven. We don't know much about these guys. It says that four were carrying the gentleman who was paralyzed. We really don't know their story before or after this. In the Bible, we just know that at least four of these guys coming were carrying the paralytic gentleman because they had heard, obviously, that Jesus could heal the sick. They're trying to get him to Jesus, and they may have been high school buddies, let's say. Maybe they studied together, and and their buddy just made a mistake. He was drinking a little too much, and, and he drove his camel off the road, you know. I don't know how he got hurt, but they cared for him. They wanted to get him to Jesus, so they like are 
trying to get him, but the crowd was in the way. And they were like, excuse me, excuse me, but the crowd wouldn't move. They had no way in. And, and these guys, limitation breeds innovation, right? They're just like, man, do we just wait? How do we get to Jesus? And somebody in the group had the audacity to go, we could go through the roof. Can you imagine that moment? They don't live here. This is not their house. But he's like, you know, it is Jesus. We don't know how often he's going to come back to Capernaum. Why don't we just like, right? And so one of them's duct taping their buddy Joe to the bed, you know, so he won't fall off in there. Imagine how big of a hole they had to make. I figure if it was like, if they tipped him sideways, lowered him down, and hoped he would tip back this way, not this way, you know? Imagine the planning that had to go into this, and, and they're trying to figure out, you know, give me your scarf, give me your scarf. Not long enough. Give me your cloak. <gasps> what? Right? It's this moment. They're trying to figure out, how do we get, just think about it. How do they get this guy down? So there's Jesus teaching all the people, right? in the room, and, and all of a sudden he's like, <laughs> when, when does he not, like, stop and just go, what the, right? You know, I mean, what's he going to do? But the stuff's, like, fallen, so maybe he moved a little bit to the side. It's so packed, though, people can't even get in, so who knows what it looks like. We see their rendition on that video you just saw where he's, like, helping the guy up, and that's actually this story, if you would, in the video, uh, according to the movie The Son of God, but he's, he's, gets to a moment where they get their friend right in front of Jesus, and everybody's got their cameras out, and they're ready for the show, right? They're like, this has got to be the one. Imagine if you're in the audience, and you see like a hole forming in the roof. You had to have heard the story about Jesus being baptized, and when he rose up, like uh, in the form of a dove, the Holy Spirit descends on him, and you hear a voice from heaven, this is my son whom I love. I'm well pleased, right? They knew this story. They had to have. And so they, you know, they're like, the roof is opening. Do they think it's God? Here he comes, <laughs> right? Or they, they didn't have phones for those of you. Can imagine no world without phones but, and cameras, but they're, they're recording this in their minds. And uh, here's this moment. There's two people in the room. There's the people in the room that are there for the show. Doesn't it seem like they're always the closest, right? They're just there. Maybe they're just watching, but not participating. They're, they're, they're right there. They're just ready to capture this. And it's not that we can be mad at these guys. I mean, we're just like this. I relate to the people who are just there for the show. I do the same thing. I want action from God. I'll go to Him. I'll, 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 I'll be broken in times, and I'll sit there and I'll say, God, a two-year-old in a wagon? And I'll get really real with my expectation for God to bring peace and hope and healing. I mean, well, and then I'll have fun with God. I'm like, Lord, a billion dollars if this bracket works out. Come on, Jesus. How, okay, God, Duke, really? Duke, first round, what? You know, and so, you know, we'll have those moments. And then I'm like, honestly, in the fall, I was like, let the Seahawks be good. Like, or and he answered the prayer. Yeah, so I was excited for that, right? So I, I went for it. I was like, Lord, let the Mariners make it past the fourth, like, you know. 
They go to the fourth team and blow the season, right? So anyway, you're like, Lord, where are you? No. And then there's the prayer I pray almost daily in Bonnie Lake. God, please let that officer not see that I'm going 35 in a 25-mile-per-hour zone. And uh, not that any of you would do this. And then I have to say, God, forgive me because I'm actually going 42 in a 25. (laughs) Let me tell the truth. Now that these beautiful lights are showing me red and blue colors behind me. But anyway, you get that moment often in Bonnie Lake. You have, you know, so those that are there are waiting a response. Those waiting action from Jesus. But then you have the religious people the religious people of the day, evaluating evaluating everything Jesus did, continues in verse 6. Some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. I could just see the beards, right? I don't have a sweet one or any beard right now, but you know, thinking to themselves. That's what they're doing. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly, right? But they don't get it. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? So wait, they didn't say anything? They were thinking it in their hearts, right? He's blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. They're thinking this. Side note, Jesus can hear you thinking. Are you nervous now, right? What if he gives that ability to us? Yes, I heard that thought. I do work out. (laughs) Right? I know. Somebody was wondering. A few people. I work out of Starbucks, and I work out of the Post up in Tahale, and I work out of a home office. I don't really work out. Okay, anyway, so, you know, but you, you have that. What if you could read thoughts? That is a sweet skill. Jesus had this ability. And they were accusing Jesus of being irreverent towards God. In their law, no one can forgive sins except God alone. They figured out the puzzle Jesus was trying to show. See, they expected Jesus to see a paralyzed gentleman on the ground before him, the audacity of those who dropped him through the roof, and they expected him to just go, good. And he's like, bah! Jumping, leaping, praising God. That's what they expected. But he's like, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, head scratcher, right? What? He didn't heal him. He forgave him? How? If he forgave him, the only that would mean he would have to be... I don't know how they didn't put this puzzle together. They were somehow so focused on the right and wrong things being said that they missed the point completely. They were pointing towards Jesus instead of pointing out Jesus. The religious people in the room should have been able to say, the Messiah, got it. This is charades, right? It's like, uh, Messiah can only do that. You're the Messiah, right? But they weren't the first ones to figure that out. Some fisherman is the first one to say that to him. It's confusing. Many have given up on the church as a way of growing in a relationship with God through Jesus today because of religious people just like this. They sit there and and evaluate, and they go out to coffee afterwards, and instead of talking about all the great things that have been done, 
They're like, the lighting was a little too low in there today. Have you noticed how, you know, the, the pastor tells stories about him working out but doesn't ever work out? He confessed to breaking the law of the land, even though it's crazy that it's 25 miles per hour everywhere, right? I mean, it was just, you know, so the religious people go out in the community and talk and judge people out loud. No wonder nobody wants to come into the church, right? We're all guilty. We've all done it one time or another. We make it messier, which is all good. None of us are perfect, but so many religious people thinking of all that is wrong, and they could just have opened their eyes and seen the opportunity in a Savior, someone who could actually forgive sins. Like, this was bigger than the show that they expected, but they kind of missed the moment. It continues in in verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Onlookers were astonished. They're like, we got the clip. This is a viral sensation. He forgives sins and heals, right? So there's this moment. They're like, we got what we came for. But Jesus, first and foremost, wanted them to get the fact that their sins could be forgiven. Nothing that that paralyzed man did could place him in a deserving position to be healed or forgiven. He couldn't do anything on his own power to earn forgiveness. And Jesus wanted to show a point, hey, it doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, if you come to me, I'll forgive your sins, plain and simple, unconditionally. I think this is a beautiful story for us to grasp today. Jesus was taking care of sins. This was the real problem, right? I mean, eternity, and and people would go through all kinds of law practices, and, and they would have to do a certain amount of things on this day, and then that day, and this festival, and that festival. They'd go through all kinds of sacrifices to try to get back in right relationship with God. But Jesus all of a sudden said, no, it's finished. It could be taken care of, like, quick. This is humongous. We don't quite grasp it today in the same context, but here's the reality. The problem was sin, not just the paralysis. I mean, bad things are going to happen to to Joe. Let's just call him Joe on the mat. Bad things are going to happen to Joe after this. I mean, he's he's living in a world that is broken and and messy, right? He's going to lose his job. Maybe maybe his wife is going to leave for a, a safer camel rider, you know? Maybe he is going to get cancer. Maybe... He's going to get sick again, whatever got him on the mat in the first place. That's his story, my story, and your story. Troubles come, but what are we going to do in that season? You know, we often approach God with kind of this if-then mindset, right? A formulaic 
religion, if you will. We're like, okay, God, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to pray that you help me, and if you do, we're good. If things keep going the way they're going, something's off, God, right? So we kind of get that if-then practice. It gets a little confusing. And faith is an operating system of life. It's not a formula. Faith is the operating system of life, not a formula. Faith is not an if-then formula. Jesus came offering a relationship with God through Him. That's what He came offering. It's not, okay, if I read my Bible for five, ten, ten minutes today, and if I pray for five, half the Bible reading, carry over the, yeah, half, five minutes, and then if I uh, you know, do good to somebody this week, uh, buy them a latte behind me at Starbucks, that's good. And then if I, you know, if I give, when the church asks me to give to save puppies in a place where there's a hurricane and I rescue, you know, you kind of work out this formula, then me and God are good. If I do that, I've earned God, right? But again, the paralyzed guy couldn't do anything to earn God, earn forgiveness, earn healing. Jesus just can give it. And when we live by a formula faith, we get messed up when the formula doesn't equal what we anticipated equaling. So our challenge is to see Jesus through the lens of practice of faith and relationship and not that of a formula. God did not send Jesus to hand us a formula We have that in the Old Testament, formulas of the law that led people to be forgiven. But now Jesus comes and introduces grace unconditionally, unearned. All you have to do is ask for it. It's beautiful. John 16, 33 says this, I have told you, it's Jesus speaking, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. Jesus, the Son of God, is promising us something here, isn't He? In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've come to overcome the world. You're going to have trouble. Jesus did not promise perfection in this world. He did not promise us painlessness. But but Thad, that, that guy on TV told me that if I pulled out all the Benjamins in my wallet and sent it to him that everything would be perfect all of a sudden. I shouldn't, what? You know, that I would be prosperous and that all of a sudden I'd have all the money and drive a new car. And it's never happened. And that's why I was mad at God. Just don't, that guy, well, anyway. Um, So, he never promised that that car would stay on that side of the road. He, He didn't promise that the doctors would not say the word cancer. He did not promise that you would keep your job and house. He never promised that your husband would remain faithful all the days of your marriage. He never promised that your kids would always come home safe, that your parents would be loving towards you. But Jesus did promise you peace in the midst of trouble. Jesus always keeps His promises. If you would follow Jesus you would find peace right in the middle of the worst scenario of your life, and that peace would be unexplainable. 
you'd not be able to comprehend it. Think about the people during Easter. So, fast forward two years from where we were right there in Mark. Jesus dies on the cross on Friday. Three days later, He was going to raise from the grave, but they didn't quite put that together yet, right? They just knew, oh my goodness, the Son of God, whom we confessed was the Son of God, died on a cross. All these things are happening, storm, an earthquake, the veil in the temple's torn, all these prophecies are coming true around them, and they're going, oh my goodness, right? And three, so that's Friday. Turmoil, pain, heart. And then on Saturday, it's like tomb, emptiness, doubt, denial starts to work up inside them. They're like, it's been a day, Right? And then all of a sudden, Sunday, like three days later, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, on the third day, the grave is empty. Can you imagine? That's all of a sudden hope. But the silence of Saturday is what some faiths refer to it as. Some traditions would call it the silence of Saturday. Imagine the midst of the trouble of that Saturday. Often in life, life is determined, success or fail, on what we do with the silence of Saturday. We're going to have moments where it's the silence of Saturday. What do we do with that? We've got to learn through that. God loved us so much that Sunday came. God loved us before the comprehension and correct behavior that Jesus went to the grave and rose. Look at this. Romans 5, 6 says it this way. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Saturday, we're powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't require perfection. In fact, failure qualified us for forgiveness. We shouldn't wait we shouldn't wait to, to make God prove Himself. It's interesting, when you read through the Bible, you see these guys that were closest to Jesus. They would have seen if He was a fake, right? Can, if you had 12 people around you all the time and three were close buddies, don't you think the three would have… Well, there, you know, there was this time when Jesus… Don't tell anybody. I mean, it's an herb, and it was in the garden, but, you know, he went out back, and he lives in Washington or Colorado. No, I'm just saying, you know, they would have sold him out, right? They would have said, I know we did the whole cross and grave thing, but there was this moment, and they never did that. If you read about these yahoos who are far from perfect, full of sin, confessed sinners, I mean, these disciples, they called them. It was not just about Jesus, this cross and resurrection. It was about the changed lives. The proof of the resurrection was in the changed lives because these guys who even denied Jesus when He went to the cross, these guys all of a sudden, you turn over into the book of Acts after the story of Jesus' books, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You turn over in the book of Acts and you see the early church and you see what these guys went through without denying Jesus, the disciples. Okay, now people always tease me here at Open Life because I always use TV illustrations, but I'm going to do it again because I just do it, right? Has anybody watched the show Crisis? It's really, you, you're such good people. Way to not watch that show on Sunday nights. Oh boy, I'll just go crawl under a hole. Okay, anyway, this really psycho CIA guy kidnaps a bunch of kids. This is a really beautiful story for Easter. How are you doing? And, uh, uh, and, and one is the president's kid. It's all these people of power, and he's going to like 
bribe them. If they want their kid back, they have to do something bad for him, right? Who knows where he's going with this, but that's what's happened in the show so far. And at one point in time, they're torturing this dude, like the head of the army or something. I don't know what his job was. And, uh, and they're torturing him to get some information out of him. And they're like, you know, what good does torture do? They're, they're approaching the, the psycho guy who's in charge of this operation. And they're, they're like, what will torture do? And he said this. And I was like, ooh, I had already had my Easter talk done like about three weeks ago. And I, I wrote it down. He says, he, they're like, torture won't work. You know, he's not going to sell out. And he's like, you know what? They always break. They always give in before they die. And forgive me for watching the show, another confession, right? I speed, I watch Crisis and, and Blacklist. And, anyway, so, uh, so I'm, I was sitting there watching this, and I wrote that quote down because I was like, my goodness, they always give in and tell the truth before they die. And you know what those disciples did? The ones that were closest to Jesus, that had to have known him the best, they all went to death without denying the cross and resurrection story. It was true. Eyewitnesses. They all kept believing. And that's why faith is alive today. Even in the midst of death, people do not deny the experience they've had with Jesus. The greatest evidence of the resurrection is a changed life. A changed life. And these followers of Jesus who were closest did not deny him that Jesus changed everything. There's two points on your handout, and really they're just kind of conclusion thoughts. One is Easter changes everything. Pretty simple. You probably already filled that in. But what is there to lose in following Jesus when it changes everything? Death has no sting because he rose from the grave and conquered death. And the second thought is, Easter changes me. Imagine that paralytic with his four buddies. Joe's on the ground. And imagine the change in his life in that moment. Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. He came for healing. Your sins are forgiven. And he's like, astonished. But then he had the ability to walk as well. This is undeserved favor and grace, unreal. And this love wraps itself up in a moment where Jesus, his final prayer before he goes to the cross, he prayed this in John 17, 20, my prayer is not for them alone, speaking of his disciples and all the people there, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' desire is that the them, who is the them in this story? You and me. That them, that they would come to faith. That the changed ones of his time, those who experienced the miracles, those who met Jesus, put their faith in him, that those who would believe the changed lives would continue to demonstrate the reality of Jesus around us. And so today, I want to show you a couple changed lives on video here. I want you to see the power that the church should have in our community to change lives as we represent Jesus in community. Watch this. I don't, we all have different reasons why we seek something. 
I heard about open life from my neighbors down the street. Um, they talked about open life to me for a good year before I decided to go try it. I judged people that went to church. I definitely did. Somebody who doesn't go to church, I was watching these people. Just, I don't know what I thought church was. They weren't acting on what I thought church was. And then in return, I felt like you're judging me because I don't go, but then you're doing all these things that I feel are not what I expected church people to be doing. <laughs> when Meg and Ryan made me feel safe, they made me feel not judged, they made me feel comfortable, I decided, well, maybe this is a place that I would feel comfortable going to. I became a Christian when I was seven and really grew up in the church. From the time I was 13 years old, I was a church pianist. Music has always been an integral part of my worship experience. I really had a lot of Bible teaching and ministry opportunities and all of those things behind me by the time I got to be an adult. Where things fell apart was when I was in my mid-30s and uh, had a crumbling marriage that even though there may be circumstances uh, where it's very necessary that a, a person extricates themselves from a situation that could be dangerous or what have you. When I was going through the, the darkest and hardest time of my life and obviously something that I thought very seriously about, uh, the church was not there for me. My pastors were not there for me. I had a long, long, like a two-hour meeting with my pastor, and while he said that what I was saying to him was true, that he still could not support uh, a divorce. And rather than make a scene, I just elected at that time to withdraw from the church I was attending and where I was a pianist and um, just kind of leave quietly to, to do what I needed to do. And you kind of left with that feeling that um, God can't use you anymore. You're too broken. You're too messed up. You knew all the things that you should do right, and still you did this wrong thing, and so you're no good to the church anymore. I come. I am around wonderful people. I want to serve the community. My big, my big focus was just wanting to do more in our community, to help more people in our community. There are so many people that need help. And when I heard that Open Life does these things and really talks about it and is out there, I realized, yeah, this is what it's about. So that's why I said I'm in. I'm in, I'm in to help as much as I possibly can. I, I wanna be one person to change someone else's life, however I can. Uh, just about two years ago uh, now that I was actually at a Bonnie Lake business owners networking meeting and the person who led off the meeting was actually uh, introduced himself as a pastor. So immediately kind of my walls went up and my cynicism light went on and <laughs> he said, it's a church for people just like you. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't think you really know. <laughs> what a person just like me really is like. 
So just to figure out what was wrong with this place, I came to visit Open Life. So as I started attending, I just didn't think they'd want me. And I didn't think that Open Life would really want me either if they knew all the stuff, like all the stuff I was bringing with me. And for sure, I didn't think they'd want me in music because um, I just, I was a divorced woman. But we're all stronger in the broken places. So I think it was like August, Pastor Thad put something out on Facebook that they really needed some musicians. Just responded to the Facebook post, said, oh yeah, I can play keys if you can use me, that's fine. And it turns out, open life could use me. It, it hasn't been perfect, and there's a lot of open dialogue with me and my husband and talking, and I am in a place where I know, well, I am evolving, so I'm sure other people are evolving too. I definitely was at a place where I was judging others, and um, I don't know, there's a time where you just realize, it, I need to stop worrying about others. It's not about other people. It is hard when you when you come across people that are to me that are being to me it's hateful, um, whether they're bashing others. Um, I do have a brother who is gay, and his reaction was not welcoming, <laughs> to say the least. I mean, it was uh, he thought that. I would reject him. I would be brainwashed to reject him and, and and even more he felt scared that my daughter would be brainwashed. But it took us a while and now we're in a good place and he's very supportive. And I guess being able to share being open and and having, you know, you guys in the community to help him see like not all people are like that. You just have to give people a chance, so. What we're doing is we're putting food on people's tables that don't have enough to eat, or we're buying school supplies for kids so that they're not embarrassed on the first day of school because they don't have pencils. We're showing the love of Jesus and showing what it's like to be a follower of Jesus, and that's so much more real. What's nice is some people want to know more about, you know, Jesus, well, I know for open life, you know, they can go there. And it's a place, a place of safety. It's a place where people listen. Like I said before, it's not, not a place where you'll feel, where you feel judged. This is a church filled with messy people, led by people who've had messes in their own lives and that they think they understand that life is messy. Jesus, really, we're here right now. He wouldn't be staying inside the bubble, man. He was out talking to the prostitutes and he was accused of hanging out with tax collectors and who were known thieves. And, and he was constantly criticized for the fact that he was with the people that the religious people at the time viewed as almost unredeemable. I don't know who you identify with today. Maybe it's you feel like the paralytic and you're on a mat in front of Jesus and you don't know what to expect. You thought when you came in here somehow lightning would strike and just fry you on the spot, right? If that were the case, 
we'd all be hit multiple times every Sunday in this place because none of us are perfect. Or maybe you identify most with the buddies who, who carried their friend and did everything they could to get their friend in, in front of Jesus. Or you found yourself somehow caught in the trap of being that religious person debating Jesus. Can I just encourage you with a simple truth today? The reason you walk through these doors is because the best proof of the resurrection of Jesus is a changed life. And Jesus knows the one thing that will change your life is to know this. Your sins are forgiven. It's more important than walking. It's more important than sight. It's more important than hearing. Jesus came to forgive us of sin, and it took him ultimately going to the cross and conquering death, hell, and the grave, resurrecting three days later. And now you and I can choose to follow Jesus and absolutely radically have our life transformed. So I want to pray with you today. And if you've never made that choice to invite Jesus into your life, just to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to give this a shot. You know, here at Open Life, we're walking through one of the Gospels. It's the book of Luke, and we're going story by story through it so that we can discover for certainty who Jesus is and learn about all these people around him and, and, and the stories that we're seeing and hearing and, and of him healing people and everything just so that we can discover even more about this Jesus we're, we're trying to follow. We're all at a different place on that journey. But I hope today starts something fresh in your life with an awareness that your sins can be forgiven through Jesus. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to freely walk in here today. I thank you for people who invited people today. They were the buddies in the story. And some here today are on their mats and they're looking up at Jesus wondering, is it judgment coming my direction? What's coming this way? I just pray in their heart they could hear no matter what they've done in their life, no matter what happened today, this morning, last night, previous year, up to this moment, may they hear the most important words that they could hear coming through the door today. Your sins are forgiven. Gone. pray that they would choose to follow you, that they would look at the back of that connection card as we lead a song and worship of celebration today, and that they would check that top box just as Kelly did, just as Elizabeth did when she made that commitment. Man, I'm coming back to, to the church. I can't believe I'm actually going to put my trust in this place that hurt me so bad. I just pray that, God, other stories would rise today in discovering, yeah, I'm, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. I'm going to give this a shot, and that they would experience a life changed, and the people around them would see a life changed, the best proof of the Easter story, the resurrection of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.